0: Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming of the law firm of Fleming & Curdy here in Tucson, Arizona, sitting here with my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and uh, we're going to talk to you today about being secure, more particularly (laughs) about the SECURE Act, S-E-C-U-R-E, all capital letters, an acronym that Congress came up with to adopt a a pretty wide-ranging set of changes in Uh, in retirement planning.
1: So Robert, one of the things that I have to say many of our clients call us, sometimes slightly panicked about, is when they see new legislation that has been passed or enacted, the first thing we get a call about are their taxes. Oh my gosh, do I need to come in to update my estate plan because am I going to be taxed differently? What I understand is that the SECURE Act is is about a lot more than just taxes.
0: It is. It's really about beneficiary designations and the like. It also very significantly changes the process for withdrawing money from your IRA or 401k or defined contribution retirement plan. But for our purposes and for purposes of your of your question, uh, it really addresses who can get a stretch out of their IRA. Now there's a that just sounds weird doesn't it stretching out your ira
1: when we talk about stretching out an ira typically we're referring to the rate in which somebody has to withdraw money people are familiar with the acronym rmd required minimum distribution so are some of the rules about required minimum distributions changing with secure
0: they are the big one is that right now you have to begin taking your required minimum distributions uh, when you turn 70 and a half. Now, this gets confusing, unnecessarily confusing, because people often say, well, you don't have to take them when you turn 70 and a half. You have to turn take them within the year after the year in which you turn 70 and a half, which is technically correct. But they're calculated based on your 70 and a half birthday. Why Congress decided 70 and a half rather than 70 or 71. 71 just seems too old. 70 is too young. Let's go (laughs) 70 and a half. Uh, That's been changed to 72, which is a little easier to calculate. Most people know when their 72nd birthday is. They'd have to think a little bit about when their half birthday is, perhaps. So when you turn 72, you now have to begin making distributions. What if you already turned 70 and a half before January 1st of 2020, which is the effective date of the new? Secure Act numbers. Well, if you already turned 70 and a half, you are stuck with the old rules. So the new minimum distribution rules don't have any impact on you directly. 72, you have to begin making uh, withdrawals. And that oddly means, uh, as, I, as I've as i calculated this, nobody will have to begin taking distributions in the year 2021 because no 70, no 70 and a half Age changes will trigger it, and nobody will be 72 yet. Uh, none of the people affected by the January 1st effective date. Now,
1: Robert, when we talk about your required minimum distribution and and the big tax question continues to loom, people still need to understand that if you have something like a traditional IRA. Yes, that's a very different conversation about the tax that you may pay on what you're withdrawing than, say, for instance, if you have a Roth IRA. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. Most, but not all, IRAs, traditional IRAs, every every penny you take out is taxable income. There are some minor exceptions where only the earnings on the account are taxable income. Roth IRAs are not taxable income when you take them out. And Roth IRAs are not affected by the minimum distribution rules because you don't have any minimum distribution requirements for your Roth IRA. What a lot of people don't realize is that when you die and someone else receives your Roth IRA, they do have to begin taking out money. They still don't pay tax on it, but they do have to begin taking out money.
1: Did the SECURE Act change any of those rules, Robert?
0: Not very significantly. Um, the big change is when an IRA, when the owner of an IRA dies, they, uh, the beneficiaries now have to begin taking out the money, in most cases, much more rapidly than they used to have to take out the money. And that's taxable.
1: And does that relate to a beneficiary if a beneficiary might be a spouse? Or what if a beneficiary is, I don't know, a special needs trust? <laughs>
0: funny you should ask. Um, Well, so first of all, there are a bunch of exceptions. And whenever you read about or hear about the minimum distribution rules, the exceptions tend to consume the whole conversation. So I like to start with the basic premise. Assume that when somebody dies, their Roth IRA, their IRA has to be distributed. And in most cases, it has to be distributed now on a 10-year basis. But then there are a bunch of exceptions. There are five big exceptions for uh, for the speed at which distribution has to be made. And one of them, as you suggested, is a spouse. A spouse can still roll over an IRA or a Roth IRA and treat it as their own. So if you're not married and you're feeling poorly, it's a great time to rush out and get married because there's a terrific tax benefit, particularly if you marry someone considerably younger than you and they can they can roll over your IRA and, and continue to defer receiving the income, or roll over your Roth IRA and continue to leave it invested. The second uh, uh, special p- case is the case of a, a minor child. If your beneficiary is your minor child, not a grandchild, not a friend's minor child, but your minor child, they get a slower uh, calculation for what they have to take out. Uh, The next exception, and not in sequence in the law, but in in sequence of importance, perhaps, is when your beneficiary is less than 10 years younger than you. If you have a, a beneficiary who's almost your age, they get to use their life expectancy still. But, hey, their life expectancy is not wildly different from yours because they're less than 10 years younger than you. So it's not as big a gift as it looks like the two big exceptions that really require planning. And you ask the question, Elizabeth, do people need to rush in and make changes? Here are the two kinds of people that need to think about changes. If you name as beneficiary of your IRA or your 401k a person who is special needs, who is receiving disability benefits, whether that's SSI, Supplemental Security Income, or SSD, Social Security Disability Income, if they're receiving those benefits or they would qualify to receive those benefits but for some some reason they have too much in resources or something then uh, then they get to use their life expectancy for the withdrawals same if they are a chronically ill person and a chronically ill person is defined as somebody who has impairment in two of six activities of daily living so if you have people with disabilities or chronic illness um, that, that are possible beneficiaries of your IRA or your 401k, yeah, please rush in and let's talk. If you have named your family trust as beneficiary of your IRA, yeah, we probably should talk. That was something that we commonly recommended two years ago, a year ago, certainly five and ten years ago. There are different considerations now. It's not a horrible problem if that's still true if that's still your beneficiary, but it probably needs some reconsideration.
1: And Robert, when you expect discussions to abound around the SECURE Act and what that means, is there a place that people can look online for information?
0: Well, you know, it's funny. Yes, there is. One place is our website. It's funny that when we started looking to educate ourselves and, and be prepared to write about this, how little really good information was online. There's beginning to be better discussion online, but we have written about this on our website and I think we did a pretty good job of sort of sketching out particularly the special needs element. Should your, child's, your child who has a disability, should their special needs trust be named as beneficiary of your IRA? The answer to that used to be, oh, probably not, but let's talk. Now it's, well, maybe, uh, let's talk it's still not a clear always correct always the same answer uh, so it really requires some conversation to work out the pluses and minuses
1: so the takeaway that i'm getting from you today is let's talk
0: i think that's correct and um, and you know we're not quick to say that we don't think every time the legislature sneezes we need all of our clients to come in and make changes but if you have a significant retirement account and I've said IRA throughout, but it's 401k, 403b, any defined contribution retirement account, and you have a child with a special need or a family member with special needs, um, then we definitely need to talk about a correct next step. And if you're listening to this from someplace other than Tucson, Arizona, it's not us you need to talk to. It's your local special needs planning attorney who can uh, who can work through the considerations with you. This is uh, you know it's actually in some ways simpler rules than the old rules, but the old rules were so complicated and these rules are so complicated in a different way that it's pretty hard to sort through all of the all of the considerations.
1: Well, thank you Robert. Thanks for spending spending some time on this today.
0: I'm happy to do it and I hope to hear from some of our clients who need to uh, follow up and make some changes. In the meantime, this is Robert Fleming and my interlocutor has been Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner as well. Uh, We are Fleming and Curdy, and we hope that you will join us again for elder law issues in our next podcast. Thanks.